Do you enjoy diving the podcast and would you like to support our work? If you'd like to get Justin out of the editing suite in his basement and diving again, be sure to check out our Patreon page to find fantastic ways to support this podcast. One of the cool perks is exclusive early access to episodes before they post with no ads. Each week, we like to thank some of our Patreons, and this week, we thank Jess. Go to patreon.com slash diveinpod for more. When the snorkelers came along, the dolphins stayed for a few minutes, and then they disappeared again. The snorkelers got tired, and they went back off on their boat. And then the dolphins came back to us because they had a different understanding of us because we were underwater with them rather than just splashing around on the surface. And it's like, well, this is... This is what free diving is all about. You know, this is this is what's so special about it. It's episode fifty-seven of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Louisa Collins. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all-about-diving podcast for everybody. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkeler, scuba diver, freediver, or tech diver, Dive In has something for you. The show is filled with diving news, feature interviews, guests from around the world, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and more. Visit DiveInPod.com to find out more about our show, past guests, our Patreon, and even more. Hi, everyone. I'm April. I'm Nick, and we'll talk about the importance of taking a freediving course. I'm Justin, and we'll talk about Catalina Island. I'm Amit, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. So last week's interview with Enchante Gallardo, U.S. national freediving record holder and FII freediving instructor, was pretty cool. I know I said it in that episode, but I got to say it again. She brought a wicked kind of energy to the show. Just super calm, laid back, and I don't know, like, I guess I haven't been to Hawaii, so I can't say so, but I feel like she was channeling <laughs> a little bit of Hawaii. I think so, too. It was like, uh, I don't know, that's how I picture everyone from Hawaii being like, just so <laughs> chill. And yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> my my one experience, my one trip to Hawaii. Um, yeah, she kind of embodied that energy of the of the island. I think that's a, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a special, special atmosphere. Yeah. And she's she's a very adventurous soul when I. uh when I met her in Dominica, she's all you know. Whenever like the competition was ha- wasn't happening, she was out exploring somewhere or doing something new. And uh, she talks a little bit about all her traveling in, in the interview, um, and that definitely resonates uh, as part of her her char- character. I think um, that really sort of adventurous soul. Well, it was good to get her on, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to more free divers. Well, we got another one this week. We'll talk about that in a second. But I was going to mention, uh, April, you got some feedback uh, on your on your musical abilities. Yeah, people love it when I sing, which I never <laughs> thought anyone would love it when I sing because I am a terrible <laughs> singer. <laughs> when you uh, when you kind of hum along to the uh, to the music bed, uh, give us an example, like, April. Yeah. What are they talking about here? Like for someone that might not know, what hook us up, <laughs> hook us up with a rendition. You can't put me on the spot, but they <laughs> like it when I sing our opening and closing. I don't know. Is it a theme song? Yeah, I guess so. I think yeah, we need an intro the and outro. Special, is that the official terminology? I guess so. Oh, there you go. See, <laughs> pr- the producer's here, so we got that. The intro, <laughs> outro. Yeah, even Nick likes it because when I Nick was like, when he heard it the first time, he was like, "That was nice. That was nice." <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, nobody believed me, and now we're getting all this feedback. <laughs> now we're getting feedback. It's actually kind of cool. It. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like that you're really resonating with the audience, Nick. I think it's a good idea that you're the producer. <laughs> <laughs> I think April's the one resonating with the audience. Yeah, I think oh, interesting. Uh, oh, oh. He, went, <laughs> he went down wow. that road. <laughs> wow. I think we'll record uh, something and it'll be my first hit single. <laughs> that I'll be trapping. <laughs> oh yeah, I can uh, see it now. It'll yeah, be I called. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have to get on Shante and her ukulele and uh, make a duo. Do a duo. Oh, now we're talking. It would be very cool. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's going to be like Bing Crosby's Christmas carols, and then April <laughs> and Shante hit the dive in the podcast. Yeah, I can see it now. It's going to be good times all around. It would be awesome. The yeah. only the it's only thing I, re- I request is that you are recorded underwater through your regulator. <gasps> Such a good idea. I'm actually, you know what? I'm going to take my GoPro on the weekend and record myself singing it underwater through that my regulator. That would be cool. You know what? We should get like fans of the show should do that and submit it to us, and we can <laughs> play it and parts of the show. See how that we goes. can make like a whole like I don't know what you would call that like a giant song of just everybody's like, <laughs> regulator singing uh, you'd have to try and do it on one breath though so it wasn't like you know <laughs> that's what editing's for that's yeah right. i guess you know all right well send us your best uh best underwater dive in humming. the podcast humming to uh dive in <laughs> dot the podcast at gmail.com and maybe you'll make it on the show <laughs> what have we started <laughs> here we go uh, uh that's awesome well uh <laughs> we'll we'll get back on track for tonight in this episode we're speaking to louisa collins louisa is a competition safety freediver who has led safety teams for some of the world's biggest freediving competitions louisa is also a freediving instructor who runs her own freediving school called freedive ibiza when she's not teaching or leading safety teams, Louisa enjoys underwater dancing. And uh, if that sounds like a crazy thing, don't worry about it. Nick and her speak about it in the interview that they recorded earlier. Uh, before we get to that interview, though, we've got a little bit of news. This week's news comes to us from Dan Europe. They recently updated their guidelines for diving after being vaccinated. There's a link in the show notes, but let me cover what they recommend. So basically what they're saying is that, you know, the vaccinations are important. Everyone should be vaccinated, obviously, but there are side effects to the vaccines. They're usually seen within 48 hours, but sometimes as long as seven days. So they recommend for the average diver doing compressed gas diving or breath hold diving that you pause for seven days after. And if you have any, um, if you see any side effects or anything like that, that are longer or complicated then you need to see your see a diving doctor they think that because of depth or high or low levels of oxygen it could exacerbate um, those side effects so that's why they don't want you diving while you know kind of in that recovery period from being vaccinated they suggest you extend the interval to 14 days if you've seen side effects lasting more than 48 hours or if you have high risk factors which are the typical things like excessive body weight metabolic diseases, uh, smoking, use of medications, things like that. So keep an eye on those. You know, when in doubt, consult your doctor and you can always contact Dan if you have any questions on what you should do next. They also recommend that, of course, as the vaccination does not completely protect against the possibility of transmission, you still need to use protective measures 
when on the dive sites and in your general life. Yeah, this is the the fun world we live in and uh, definitely be thinking about that as, uh, you know, theoretically, we should be getting some vaccines pretty soon here for our age groups uh, kind of uh, coming up in Nova Scotia where we live. I think those recommendations make a lot of sense. I've had uh, quite a few people I know that have taken various um, versions of the vaccine and have been hit with uh, some mm-hmm. pretty, pretty serious side effects. I mean, getting kind of hit like with a serious flu symptoms and stuff so i think you know um if you've if you've made it this far without catching covid uh getting a vaccine and sticking out of the water for a week or two uh, doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world to do um and then the other thing is to your last point justin um, i think there was a couple of cases where and i don't know if it's in new brunswick but it's definitely in canada where i think two or three people ended up uh in hospital sick despite having received both doses of the vaccine so yeah that transmission risk is still around and and of course, as as far as diving is concerned, we all want to stay healthy and, you know, having lungs in top shape uh, is probably a top, top thing to. I mean, I think those are all valid points. And obviously, I'm not going to mm-hmm. dispute the research that they're doing because it's specific to dive medicine. I think my mm-hmm. only comment on that would come back to this idea that, you know, seven days not in the water would mean that my gear would probably dry off, which just seems criminal. <laughs> I didn't think that was allowed to happen. So I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to tolerate that, but okay. All right. I mean, I'm not going to deviate from the Dan recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Dive, dive gear is supposed to stay wet, right? Like dive gear, it's never yeah, supposed like, I mean, to dry. I don't like it when mine no. gets dry. Like I feel like there's something wrong no. happening when it's dry completely. The the difference yeah. is uh Amit's gear is uh, wet because it's hanging up on his drying rack after being rinsed and April's dive gear is wet because it's in a black <laughs> bin in the back of her car. <laughs> okay, that is a distinct difference. I knew right that there. was so coming. That was, I knew. Uh, yeah. Man, it is just like trash on April night tonight, man. <laughs> oh, wait, I don't oh, know what you're man. talking about. I, I <laughs> we were just giving you the best compliments ever about your singing and you're going to jump into the Bing Crosby realm of like oh, record, yeah, yeah, recording yeah. and yeah, so, uh, but you know, you really should <laughs> rinse that gear, April. Like, I mean, oh my God, uh, here we go. All right, next topic. What's up next, next Justin? Topic. <laughs> next topic. All right. Well, we're going to uh, head into the interview that Nick did with Louisa. And so let's dive in with Louisa Collins. Uh, hello, Lou. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from London in the UK. It's not close to the water. What was your earliest experience with the ocean? Um, I think my earliest experiences would have been with my my paternal grandmother, so my, my dad's mum. She was originally from Ireland, from a place called Cork, a, a little city called Cove, which is uh, used to be called Queenstown, actually. It was where the Titanic, it was the last place the Titanic went to for it. Head out, headed out in the Atlantic. So her family were all uh, water people and uh, merchant navy and navy, and, and my dad also was was navy. So they they really liked the sea, and uh, that wasn't the case with my mum's side of the family. But my granny would had a little house on the south coast of the UK, and she um, like right on the beach. Literally, you would walk out the back door, and you were on this this pebble beach, and uh, and she always. Uh, would encourage me and my brother into the sea and even though it's quite cold um, and it took me a very long time when I was a kid to to get in <laughs> to the sea I would step in and you know uh, take my time to allow my kind of feet and then my ankles and then my knees to kind of acclimatize before I would 
I would get in. But uh, I just have this memory of her swimming away or she would be standing there and encouraging me to swim towards her and then walking back at the same time. <laughs> so I had to swim, swim further and then I'd like grab hold of her. And, uh, but yeah, even though it was cold and um, uh, maybe, maybe not the most, most pleasant compared to some of the places that I spend in the water in the sea now, uh, it was, you know, it was always quite fun when we were kids uh, to swim in the, in the ocean in the UK and also down in Cornwall. So before before you came to discover freediving, you you did a little bit of scuba. Is that right? Yes, I was a scuba diving instructor. I learned to scuba dive um, when I was living in Australia. It was something that I always kind of dreamt of doing. Um, and then I moved to Honduras. I lived in a little place called Utila, and I did my uh, my dive master and my assistant instructor. And I moved to Colombia, where I did my instructor course, and I worked up to being IDC staff for Paddy. Um, and I, yeah, I lived in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I lived in Aruba, uh, both of those places working as uh, instructor after being an instructor in a, in a dive school in, in Colombia. Um, and I did a little bit of teaching back in London, but not not in the in the sea or any open water because <laughs> it's just too too cold. You're you're definitely a warm water baby, huh? I'm a bit of a wuss. Yeah, I'm sorry. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I like the topics. No, no need to apologize. I think a lot of people uh, envy envy you um, if you can enjoy the warm water and um, and don't have to <laughs> suffer through the cold that we do. Um, it's it's kind of a running joke on our show. It's like whenever we have a guest on, we go like, "Yeah, your where you're diving is cold," and we kind of roll our eyes because it's probably five degrees colder than anywhere else here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. How how did you come to discover freediving itself? When I was living in Aruba, I was working in a scuba diving school there and um, my boyfriend was also a scuba diving instructor at that same school and he introduced me to uh, this, the name of this lady called Tanya Streeter, who's an English-American freediver. And I think she still has the world record. But no limits? No limits. Yeah, yeah so like 160 meters or something, but back from like 2002. So this would have been around 2004. And I'd never come across anything like it before. You know, I snorkeled and uh, with, with Paddy, we would teach something called skin diving, which is kind of deep, deeper snorkeling. Um, but I'd never come across apnea. We call, we call it in Spanish or apnea or... or yeah, freediving. Um, but we would start to, to sort of practice our little version of, of, of freediving in our days off um, by diving down, uh, picking up a rock and running across the, the sandy bottom around the coast of, of Aruba, seeing how long we could run underwater, like holding our breath. Um, and we would do it at the same time. So all the, you know, these, these things that, that I wouldn't do now <laughs> from a safety perspective. Um, and hyperventilating was the other thing that, mm. that, that we would do because we would teach that with Paddy uh, and they would teach three hyperventilations um, and I would go, okay, well, if three is good, then six must be better. <laughs> so I would, Always double down. I would hyperventilate a little bit, yeah, before I would, uh, before I would do these dives. Um, and and I, never, <laughs> I never had any problems with it. I shouldn't say that, but... I obviously wouldn't do that now, 
But um, I would I would free dive in the places that we would take people for deep scuba dive. So like, I would do 20, 25, I think. I might have done even 30 meters, but I don't know exactly how deep I would have done uh, my dives in those days. But that was my first experience of doing any kind of, of free diving. Um, but I didn't then do a course until 2012. Wow. So what did you do in between? Um, I went back to London and became a Pilates instructor. And then I would, uh, I was using then Pilates to, for, for physical rehab. So I was working with, uh, physiotherapy clinics and with osteopaths and, uh, alongside, you know, maybe personal trainers and, um, in, in Pilates studios in London. Nice. And then, so, so you went and you obviously hooked to the sport um, and you went and did a course. What, what happened next? Well, yeah, I, I was I was living in London for those years and I, uh, I really kind of realized at some point that I was missing something for my life and that that something was the sea. Um, and so in 2012, I decided to come to this place called Dahab, which is where I am at the moment in South Sinai, Egypt. Um, because I'd heard about this place called the, the Blue Hole, which is this sinkhole, it's 90 meter deep sinkhole, just right inside the coral table the, in the Red Sea, the coast of, uh, of Dahab. Um, and I knew of it as a scuba diving location because a friend of mine from university, uh, right after we finished university, she'd come out here to do her dive master course. And I had always remembered this place. It just sounded so fascinating because there's this this kind of chimney, I guess. It's like a, a sinkhole inside the coral. But there's also this thing called the arch. So inside that chimney of coral, there's an archway that opens up into the, into the open sea. Um, but it's at about 50, 56 meters, I guess, entrance from inside. Um, and then outside the blue hole, you know, it's, it's maybe 200 meters deep or 250. I don't know how deep it is outside, but, you know, this is kind of this mythical place that she told me about, um, which you can't do on scuba because it's too deep. You could only do it as a technical diver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked into coming out to Dahab to do some scuba diving, and I realized that you could also do a freediving course. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do that too. Uh, I did a, like a week of scuba, and then I uh, did the beginner freediving course uh, with a lady called Lotta Erickson. Um, at a school which was the first school to open here, a school called Freedive Dahab. Um, and after that, I didn't, I didn't really ever want to go back to scuba. I think I still had some scuba dives left in the package that I bought, and I, and I didn't end up using them because uh, I just wanted to carry on, on freediving training. So I did this three-day course and then, uh, and then did a couple more days of training, and I was down to like 33 meters, I think, um, and immediately then hooked this was this was like uh, a whole world that opened up to me. Mm. And then you you eventually went on to compete. Is that right? Yeah. So that course I did in August of 2012. Um, I was struggling a little bit in London before I did that course, and it really was was quite a turnaround for me because it. It, uh, it's, it's such an interesting activity and I think it affects us in, in ways that are maybe a little bit beyond our understanding, but it, but it really kind of lifted me out of a bit of a hole. 
Um, and I did a little bit of training in a pool and then I came back again to Dahab. Uh, I was freelance. So the quiet times of year for me were December, New Year and uh, August, July, August. Um, so I came back again in December. I did my intermediate course. I did my advanced course. Went back to London, came back here again in May of the following year, so 2013. Um, did a, a safety competition, safety course, and, and did safety on a, on a um, competition here in Dub. And then I came back again in August of that year to do a training camp with Johnny Sonnex. Um, and on the back of that training camp, I ended up competing in the World Championships, which was never my intention. I didn't really want to compete ever. It, seemed to be a little bit stressful and, I, and that's not really the point of freediving for me. Um, but I, I did well in that training camp and I guess freediving came quite easy to me. And uh, yeah, and then just people around me encouraged me to, there's someone I had to drop out of the team, the UK team, so, so that I was encouraged uh, to, to go to the World Championships. And so with about two weeks notice, I, I ended up going and, and competing in, uh, in Kalamata in the depth world champs in 2013. Nice. Before we move on to, to safetying or your role in safetying, um, I want to talk a little bit about dancing on the water, which is something you do. But I, I want to know, did, did the dancing or the free diving come first? Uh, the dancing came first in my life because I started dancing when I was about two, about maybe two, two and a half. My mum put me in uh, ballet classes um, and I ended up doing a lot of different kinds of of dance and um, I ended up by the time I was kind of nine, ten, I was doing about ten classes a week of different kinds of dance, mostly mostly ballet. Um, so it was my, you know, my after school activity, it was my whole Saturday was taken up with this. Um, and according to my mum, I was I was being pushed to go to ballet school because I was put on um, point shoes when I was quite young um, but unfortunately as a result of being kind of pushed so hard when my when my body was still growing uh, I ended up getting injured and uh, so I had to give everything up which was which is a bit of a shame um, so when I was 10 I had to stop everything um, and that that was you know I guess I, I kind of had um, dance in my in my body <laughs> from it from a young age um but i didn't come back to i mean pilates is is um is used a lot for dancers um and it's and, and i guess I, I really enjoyed that kind of movement when i when i discovered pilates which is one of the reasons why i, I you know i ended up being a, a teacher but um but yeah the the dancing came first and then the underwater dancing very much came later how how did that how did the underwater dancing come about? I uh, have a freediving school called Freedive Ibiza, and one of my students, someone came to me, uh, I think in 2015. He was a dancer and a choreographer, and he wanted to learn how to freedive. Uh, but he had already been doing a lot of underwater work because he'd been doing underwater dance already. Um, and I that year I did his beginner and his intermediate courses with him, and I filmed him doing some underwater dance as well. And the following year, he came back again to Ibiza to do some more freediving with me. And he said to me um, that he was looking for other people to dance with him underwater. And would I be happy to film 
them and did I know anyone? My brother was with me at that time and he overheard the conversation and went and spoke to this uh, this guy. He's called Gabriel Forestieri. And uh, he said to him, well, you know, my sister's a dancer, which um, isn't how I view myself at all. But my brother, obviously, that's how he that has, that's how he sees me because he grew up with me doing it. And um, so I got a call from this guy the next day going, my God, I can't believe I didn't ask you to come and do this with me. You want to come and have a go? And I was like, okay, sure. And, uh, and it just kind of went from there. Um, uh, and it was, you know, it was just a very um, liberating thing to do for me. And also for this, for him, he realized for this dancer, he realized that what he needed as an underwater dance partner was actually a freediver who could dance rather than a dancer who he could ask to to hold their breath underwater. Because, of course, you know, you have to be comfortable enough to be able to move comfortably um, because, well. It's a unique combination of of two skill sets, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And for a lot of people, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of trepidation with with. With breath hold underwater. Mm. So, what is what is the underwater dancing meant to you? Obviously, it's reconnected with you with something that you sort of lost earlier on. Well, yes, yeah, very much so um, in that sense. Um, and I think also um, uh, after competing, I then became an instructor and I started to work in safety and competitions. And so then, freediving very much became about. Uh, swimming up and down the line and looking after other people. So teaching people, obviously always watching them, being vigilant uh, in competitions to the athletes. And I, I maybe lost a little bit of my own enjoyment of, of freediving. And not to say, okay, maybe I'm not saying that. I don't mean to say that I wasn't enjoying it anymore, but my own kind of experience um, in freediving. And then going into this underwater dance was... Um, was really interesting because there's no rope, there's no expectation, there's no depth requirements, you're not thinking about time or depth or you're just allowing yourself to surrender to the water. And, uh, you know, when I'm dancing with this, with this guy, there's, you know, he's moving me a little bit. Um, you can't choreograph what you're doing at all because you can't control the environment that you're in. It's very three-dimensional and it's very free. So it's almost free diving in its, in its truest sense. And you really will go inside yourself um, and allow yourself to be moved by the water and to move in the water. And there's just something very fluid about it and very freeing. Um, and so that was... It was almost like freediving became a, a transformational for me again at that point. It sounds sounds very wonderful and sounds like a sort of almost like a niche part of freediving that maybe people do more often than we think about, but nobody ever sort of talks about <laughs> it or writes about it, right? Um, it sounds very wonderful. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. That's that's yeah. If freediving isn't niche already, underwater dancing is yeah mm-hmm. for sure more niche. I mean, there is there's a few people that do it. He does it, and I know. He has some um, some people that he knows who've maybe run. I think maybe there was a retreat in Bali a couple of years ago for underwater dance. But yeah, niche is, is absolutely the right word for it. it. It makes so much sense, right? Because when we, especially as freedivers, when we're on the water, 
I mean, there's there's a competition in the training side of it, but playing underwater, right, is ultimately why we're there, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think we all need to return to that. You know, there's. I think we've probably all free divers have had that experience of swimming up and down a rope and going, oh, I'm just staring at this rope the whole time. Like, what? What is this? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> What's the point of it? You know, and it's and it's it's a sport that has so many different aspects to it and so many different challenges and they're very personal challenges. Um, you know, we're not necessarily competing against each other. We're competing with ourselves in a, in a mental, emotional sense, in a physical sense. Um, but, you know, we don't want to lose that enjoyment of being in the water and that medium and, and what it feels like. And um, Recently in Egypt in December, I went to a place called Marsa Alam and, and we were freediving with dolphins. And it kind of gives a lot of meaning to, to why we freedive when you can be in the water with, with those marine animals mm -hmm. and be able to move around with them and be underwater with them and be accepted into their pod and have them come and play with you. Um, and that's kind of the point of, of freediving a lot of the time time for me and it was interesting that experience as well because there were snorkelers there um they came into this uh, place where we were this little lagoon deep lagoon where we were with these dolphins inside a reef and when the snorkelers came along the dolphins stayed for a few minutes and then they disappeared again the snorkelers got tired and they went back off on their boat and then the dolphins came back to us because they had a different understanding of us because we were underwater with them rather than just splashing around on the surface. And it's like, well, this is, this is what freediving is all about. You know, this is, this is what's so special about it. I think, I think Jacques Mayol might have a, had a few things to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a break here and we'll be back with more from Louisa Collins. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com hi my name's hamish tweed and i'm the director of education at no limits technical diving and you're listening to dive in the podcast Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking to Louisa Collins. She's a freediving instructor, professional safety freediver at major international freediving events, and the, the founder and owner of Freedive Ibiza. Uh, welcome back. Thank you, Nick. We're going to talk a little bit about um, your role in, in freediving safety. Uh, so after you, you sort of competed, and, and if I recall correctly, you said you did a freedive safety course? Yes, I did. That was, I, I mean, in those days... Uh, it was a very kind of minimal, basic course uh, where you kind of learnt about the competition rules, which is a kind of hefty amount of information, and then you practiced 
in a in a competition. Um, but what there are now uh, more involved uh, competition safety freediver courses, but um, that's only been the case in the last couple of years. For me, I kind of learned learnt on the job. Mm. So for, for somebody that might not be familiar with uh, freediving competitions, because this podcast is also like a very general show in some sense, what does a typical freediving safety team look like and what do they do? So there's several different positions that um, each of us will rotate in and out of in a freediving competition. So we have the competition line. So in a depth competition, that athlete is diving to a uh, pre-announced depth. Um, the athlete will tell us the depth that they're going to go to the day before and they'll tell us how long that dive is going to take. Um, and what we do as safety free divers is that we meet the athlete on their way up from that dive uh, and accompany them to the surface. So we're just meeting them on the last part of the dive. We would normally say about the last third. Um, so if someone's diving to 90 meters, we would meet them at 30 meters. Um, so one deeper Safety freediver will meet the athlete first, first and kind of announce our presence so that they know that we're there. The second safety diver will join a little bit later, maybe 10 meters after that. And then the two of us will accompany the athlete to the surface and then we're looking after them on the surface as well. Should anything happen, we're there to, to rescue them and resuscitate them. Um, so normally there's going to be three safety divers in the what we call the competition zone. Um, We've also got a, a dive, uh, a competition medic. Uh, so we've got a safety diver accompanying them. And then uh, we have other members of the team in, in different positions. But everybody does every role. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of explain yeah, it a little yeah, bit yeah. enough? Yeah, yeah. No, that's perfect. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, being a safety within the world of freediving, it's, it's still a bit niche, right? A little bit like dancing in a, in a sense, right? Not many people do it, I suppose. Why did you gravitate towards, let's say, safety versus competing yourself yeah that's an interesting question um i did i did compete uh a couple of times but that was that was really a, a, a small part of, of what i've i've done in in freediving um i got into safety i think i think it's kind of a personality thing i think i've you know i've always just done jobs that uh involve me looking after other people or you know i've, I've worked as teaching different things including freediving and scuba and, and pilates and and i guess i don't know i guess it's just a personality thing i was always kind of interested in in that side of things as well as all the other aspects of, of freediving i'm also a judge but i don't you know i don't do that so much because it's not so fun being on the surface i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather be underwater but when i did the my first training camp with johnny sonics uh, he wanted to know what each individual was interested in working on. Um, and I, at that point, said I was interested in, in looking a little bit more into, into safety. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all, we all find our ways to, to different things, uh, sometimes intentionally, otherwise not, right? So, Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think possibly part of... Doing safety uh, unconsciously was was um, when when you're having to look after other people, you're not having to look so 
much inside yourself. You know, when, when it's your own dive, the focus is very different and it's almost, uh, there's, there's less apprehension maybe mm. when you're looking after other people than when it's your own dive. I don't know. If- which, is, which is kind of ironic because you're looking after people's safety in a sense, right? Maybe poking a little bit of fun, but I guess, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I would be more more nervous. I, I don't know, but that's my my personality. But like you said, right? You you gravitate towards that because it's your personality. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, knowing that you're gonna, everyone, everyone has different qualities, and you know, in, in a safety mm-hmm. team, we we, it's not just about being uh, able to do repetitive thirty meter dives or rescuing someone from you know, from, you know, there's certain tests that we have to do for a, uh, before a competition starts. And one of them is that you have to do a solo rescue from 30 meters. You've got to do 40 meter dive. Um, and there's various drills that we have to go through, but that's not, that's only just one aspect of, of being able to work on a, on a safety team. And I think part of uh, what, what is a very important quality in a safety freediver is being able to manage these situations that can occur calmly. So, rescues and resuscitations and and just being able to create kind of a calm ambience for the athletes mm. um so it is a certain type of personality that's going to be drawn to doing that and if it feels like that's a little bit uh stressful to do safety for someone else then or do safety at competition level let's say because we all do safety within freediving for for our own buddies mm. but um to do safety, if, if doing safety at competition level feels a little stressful, then it's, you know, as you say, it's like a personality thing. It's, um, it's not your area, yeah. not to say you personally, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we yeah. all, we all play different roles in life and not all are suited for, we're not all suited for everything. Right. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in recent years, you've you've held some, you know, uh, safety roles in high profile competitions. Uh, you've you've been involved with, you know, the the prestigious uh, Vertical Blue. You've uh, you've been in chief of safety for the Malkanova, uh, Malchen, is it Malkanova, Malchanova, Malchanova for the Malkanova yeah. Grand Prix in Ibiza in 2018, and you've been chief of safety at, at Blue Element in Dominica. Um, but how did that evolve? How did you get there? Um, there must have been a few steps along the way. Yeah, Vertical Blue was actually the first um, competition I, I, first depth competition I worked at. Apart from when I did uh, the training um, back in 2013, I, and I sort of I did a couple of days uh, safety in a, a little mini comp in Dahab. Vertical Blue was the first competition I worked at. Um, and at that time, uh, Johnny Sonnix was chief of safety, and so I'd worked with him teaching on his uh, training camps. I'd been a participant in his training camp, um, and I guess he he had trained me a little bit up to that point to do safety, deep safety for uh, for deeper freedivers here in Dahab. And I guess he saw something in me, and he had confidence in me, um, and so he invited me to be on his team. Uh, in 2014, I was standby to be on the team in 2013 for Vertical Blue, uh, but the person that might not have been able to attend was able to attend in the end. So, so 2014 was my first time there, and we had very, very thorough training with Johnny and uh, with the medic that we had, which is Tomar Devani that year. Um, and. Once you've done that competition once, you've gained a lot of experience. So 
Um, so then I, uh, I've done it four times now this year coming up, uh, will be the fifth time. Um, and it's, it's a very long competition. Um, it's a very elite competition. Um, it's, it's kind of a mecca for freediving to go to, to the Blue Hole in Long Island, Bahamas. So a lot of athletes want to go there and they spend a lot of money to go there. They've got sponsors and they want to do well. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing their, their, their edges a little bit, mm -hmm. let's say. So, um, it's, it's a night, it's for us as safeties, it's, it's nine days of competition, um, over 11 day period. Plus we're doing the training, uh, the athlete training beforehand. So you get a lot of experience, um, working at VBs. So once you've done vertical blue, um, you're, you're going to be asked to do it again because they want people who are experienced. Um, and then, of course, you're, you're probably going to be welcomed to other competitions as well. So I did the Caribbean Cup. But I was platform coordinator there uh, in 2016. And then um, we did Vertical Blue in 2018. And Alexei Molchanov was there and he spoke to me at the time and said, uh, I want to do this, this competition in Ibiza. And would you, would you be chief of safety? Um, and with Johnny and his competition, Blue Element, um, I was on the safety team there the first year that it ran, which was also, also 2016. And he asked me to kind of lead it um, because as organiser, it was hard for him to be chief of safety as well as, uh, as the organiser of the competition. And so I was kind of lead safety that year. And then, and then the subsequent years, I uh, was chief of safety uh, element as well. So, yeah, that's kind of how it's evolved. It's, I think it's kind of a case of, of, of gaining, gaining experience in in the different aspects of um, mm. the organization of competition. So as a safety diver and as a platform coordinator, as I said before, I'm also a judge and um, not that I do much of that, but, uh, but it gives you a, an understanding of, of different aspects. Of I guess, I guess, yeah, if you're, if, yeah, if you're going to be in a, in a safety role, like um, in the competition zone, knowing, knowing the rules is pretty important too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We we do need to be very familiar with with that kind of thing because we can mess things up for people if we if we're not, you know, if we're not aware. And we're working very closely with the judges and of course with the medic and with the platform and with the media team. So yes, yeah, it's, it's important to have a a good understanding of how it all works. What's your approach or philosophy to to managing a safety team? We're we're a family, you know. It, we work very, very closely together. Um, we really need to trust each other. We really have to have each other's backs and everyone needs to pull their weight in the same way, you know, and it's, it's knowing that you can trust each other and rely on each other underwater. And it's knowing that, you know, someone's going to wash your equipment one day that you are too busy to make it back on top. You know, it's it, we're really kind of looking after each other as much as we're looking after the athletes. And everyone brings different things to the table. Um, just as an example, in, you know, in Vertical Blue, we've separated out the, the senior kind of roles because there's so much to do. So we've got engineers, we've got chief of safety, we've got chief of staff, we've got... Um, like comp administrators, so organizing the announcements and that kind of thing for the next day. So everybody's got different skills and um, 
it, it's it, it's a team and it's uh, and it's kind of like a, a puzzle but no one's no one's more senior than than someone else so in terms of managing a safety team i guess it's just organizing stuff <laughs> really <laughs> i mean everybody's everybody's kind of equal but if you're going to be the chief of safety, you're, you're maybe going to be liaising a little bit more with the judges and with the medics uh, and potentially with the athletes as well. Um, and you're just organising for people to be coming and having the meetings and the briefings. But you're always going to be drawing everybody into to the briefings and the conversations that we're having, you know, because we're looking at each athlete's uh, history. You know, it's almost like a sports team, you know. Um, you know the players and who, you know, what they've done in the past and what they've been looking like recently and that kind of thing. So everybody's got a little bit of information to bring into the into the meeting. So I think, I, I guess my philosophy is just, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of mutual respect and, and support and, um, you know, encouragement, having each other's backs, really. That's, mm. that's, that's kind of the way that I... I look at. It. I don't know that I'm necessarily the most natural leader, but because I have experience and I've worked in different roles within competitions, um, I guess that's why I've been I've been put in those. In, in People look up to you, I suppose. Or, yeah, in that sense. Staff. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. The like athletes say, we, we, we all respect <laughs> each other. Oh, well, that's kind of me to say. <laughs> so who may, who makes if you have to make a call? Is it do do you? Put your foot down or is it you leave that up to the organizer? Uh, okay, so in terms of making calls with um, with an athlete being needing needing a, a, a rescue, the strict rule is that um, if we we make the, the safety divers make the call under the water because sometimes you can't see someone someone is gonna display that they're gonna have a blackout before it happens but you can't interfere too early. So the call in that sense uh, is the safety divers under the surface, but the call is the judges once you're on the surface. So they will tell us when it's time to pick uh, mm. to pick someone up and, or support them and touch them. Otherwise, we're not supposed to touch them at all because uh, we'll disqualify them. In, in a different sense, in terms of a call of, do you mean like uh, maybe someone shouldn't do a certain dive? or Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is a, it's a, a, a group uh, decision. We're quite diplomatic in that sense because obviously the safety team has been watching the athletes throughout the training period. Um, we're seeing them in the water and we're seeing them underwater a lot more than the, the judges are. So if it's a case of uh, if we have some kind of concern and we want to flag something up or we would consider to a red flag or a yellow flag for, for certain dives, um, that's a decision that's going to be mutual. And it might involve the medics. Um, it's always going to involve the judges and the organiser, but the safety team obviously have, have a say in that kind of thing as well. So um, it's always going to be a, a, a kind of a group, group discussion, but the judges would have the final call. And, and that ultimately that's for the safety of the athlete. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred mm. percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we want to look after our team as well. Like, you know, we, that we're yeah. not, 
yeah, we're, we're not there to, ideally we don't want to be performing any rescues at all, you know? Yeah. Um, and we don't want to be putting our team into situations which are, are, are stressful or uh, unfair, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, uh, obviously, you know, the decision we are considering the, the athlete and their and their safety first and foremost. How how has safety involved since you first got involved? Because one of the things I often get asked, uh, because I'm because I scuba dive, so I and I, I technical dive. Right, a lot, a lot of technical divers will ask me, well, why don't they use you know deep technical divers for these kind of things? So how how and at one point they did right for big world records. They used to use rebreather divers or deep tech divers. How how has safety evolved since you got involved? Um, since I've been involved in free diving, we've never had scuba divers uh technical or otherwise um but yes that that definitely used to be the case but of course as a scuba diver and i'm sure a lot of your listeners know already that um you can't go up to the surface very quickly as a scuba diver this is very limited amount that you can do um to assist a free diver and if they have a blackout underwater, they need to be got to the surface very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're diving with a tank, you can't you can't do anything about that. Um, so I would say, in terms of the way that free diving has um, free diving safety has evolved uh, in the time that I've been doing it, I guess we've um, We've got more uh, of a system going than there might have been before. So we've got uh, really strict um, training and drills, um, and we've got more sophisticated equipment. Uh, so we now have dive eye at certain competitions. Now, that's, they're not a safety tool. Um, and they absolutely wouldn't consider themselves to be so, but it does allow us to be able to view what's happening underwater. So ordinarily, we have a dive line with depth markings on it, and we set the, the depth of the line to where the athlete has announced that they want to go. So it's not a case of people just seeing how far they can get to. You know, this is all kind of pre-planned. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we've always had counter ballasts um, to bring a diver up to the surface quickly because they're attached to the line with the lanyard. We've always had depth sounders, so like a fish finder, so you can see where the athlete is. Of course, they, they, they you know, they're, they're not always 100% uh, reliable, but they definitely help us. The judges are always holding the rope, and there's an incredible amount of information you can get from holding the rope. Even if the line is down at 130 meters, you can feel uh, the lanyard sliding on the rope. You can feel the diver get to the bottom. You can feel them turn. You can feel if their fins are hitting. Um, so there's a lot of information you can get from holding the rope. But then if you add on something like dive eyes, so you, you've, it's an underwater drone that allows you to see the diver in real time. Again, you're dependent on technology. So we have all the backup systems that we've always used. Um, but you can see we have a tablet when we have dive eye competitions. We have a tablet on the surface and you can see exactly what's happening with the diver at that period of time. Um, and somewhere like the blue hole, which can be quite dark, blue hole in the Bahamas, uh, it can be quite reassuring for us as safety 
free divers so that we can see the lights on the dive way often before we can even <laughs> see the diver. So you know that they're on their way up, which is which is mm. nice as well. Um, but in terms of us, I mean, that, that's, that's sort of things that we're using to understand where the diver is and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think we've just become more sophisticated in, in, in how we, how we train and how we plan. Um, and there's just become a, a better understanding, I think over the years, recent years, uh, with certain, uh, I guess certain accidents, um, that the role of the safety diver has been much more appreciated and the necessity for that to be much more professional has been realized. Um, so having experience and having training are much more important than they used to be. Even when I start, when I started freediving, there were competitions where um, the safety team might have been, you know, spear fishermen. So they can do repeated deep dives. Um, mm -hmm. But they might not be so experienced in rescuing people. They might not have a proper understanding of, of how a competition is going to work. They might not be trained to work alongside the medics. So all these different aspects of competition safety have been uh, much more understood and, and it's becoming much, much more professional. Yeah, which, which I guess is only good for the sport in the long run, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And there's, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, there's, there's only in, without being too uh, dark, there's only been one death in, in freediving competition in more than 20 years. Um, but there are accidents and there are close calls. Um, and it's, it's considered to be a little bit of a, frightening sport for a lot of people um but but they have there have been significant accidents over the years that uh we really need to be very professional about this because we don't want to be learning on the back foot you know we don't want to be learning by our mistakes we want to be really proactive about this kind of thing and there's more and more people getting involved in free diving it's much more visible now in the media yeah. um and there's more and more people competing and people are getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so, so we really, we, you know, we really do need to be very professional about this. I mean, the, from my personal perspective, the safest place I've dived is, is, you know, at, as, at, at a free diving competition, I've, I've been lucky enough to be at, you know, I've only gone to two types of events. The one is when there's blue element and obviously they're the safety stop notch, but um, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, yeah, for me, it's like I feel safer there than training with two of my best buddies, right? Um, for for a number yeah. of reasons, so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, actually, competition is a very, very safe environment because we have everything in place, mm -hmm. um, and there's accidents that aren't necessarily uh, very publicly known about outside of of competition that. Um, you know that, yeah. yeah that these that there are accidents that are happening, and it and it can be less safe because uh, yeah. you don't have all the support that you need, and yet people are still going deep. And uh, that's right. It's the nature the nature of an accident. You know, you're not expecting it, uh, but you need to you need to plan for all eventualities, for even with your own training. Yeah. 
So you founded your own school, Freedive Ibiza, in 2015 with, is that with Gary? Um, I set up on my own. Um, Gary yeah. wasn't living on the island at that point. Um, and he came and joined when he and Lynn, his girlfriend, came to Ibiza. Uh, obviously, he's a very experienced instructor and, and freediver, so it was wonderful to have him uh, involved with that as well. So what, uh, you just teach freediving courses and, and training? We, yeah, we teach freediving courses. Uh, we do training. Ibiza isn't um, like a, a depth location. You know, it's not like here in Dahab or somewhere like Dominica where you can go and, and, and you have sort of unlimited depth and, and amazing conditions. It's, it's the Mediterranean. It's an island. It's, you don't have, uh, you know, unlimited depth really, really close to shore. So we do do training, we do do coaching, um, but we're probably doing more courses, of kind of basic and intermediate levels. Uh, we do some advanced uh, courses as well. We also coach people on their own boats. So a lot of people spend time on their boats in the summer um, around the Balearics and the Mediterranean, and, and they, they want to see um, some of the you know, interesting places where you can free dive around Ibiza. Uh, and they want to be able to train as well. So we, so we coach people uh, on their own boats as well, which is, which is always really fun. Wonderful. So when, uh, when COVID is all over um, and you're back in Ibiza, maybe in the future, uh, where can people find Freedive Ibiza? Uh, do you have a website? Do you have an Instagram? We have a website, an Instagram, a Facebook page. I guess Instagram is, is where most people are looking in terms of social media these days but there's information obviously on on the website as well freedive-nibitha.com and it's the same for the instagram and same for the facebook the underwater dance uh instagram is called deep reflections but i don't it's just kind of a gallery i don't really promote it it's just for me to put a, a collection of stills together but i need to do some work in putting the the video somewhere as well because there's 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 quite a lot of films of us doing underwater dance which which would be nice to put somewhere as well yeah it would be it would be lovely to see some of that someday i hope you get around <laughs> to it <laughs> yeah i should i really should yeah thanks for reminding me <laughs> so so what keeps you diving lou oh wow um i don't think i could i could live any other way i don't yeah I, if i if i wasn't in the water, I, I think I'd, I'd, uh, I'd feel like a large part of me was missing. That's, uh, that's probably the most succinct uh, way that question has been answered, but, but it's, it's very, <laughs> no, but I, I don't mean that in a, yeah, in a, totally fun, in a funny way, <laughs> but it's, uh, it puts a lot of people in the spot, but it's, uh, I, I thought it was, yeah, I think that probably resonates with every diver, right? Um, I can live any other way. So I, I like that. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I don't have anything. I, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to poke fun. I was just, I thought it was, no, uh, no, it was no. sort of, it's sort of a, a lot of people like have longer answers, but ultimately it encapsulates that very same thing. So that's wonderful. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate oh, being able to chat me. with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been lovely. That was awesome, Nick. Thanks for that interview. And uh, of course I'm saying, that was awesome, Nick, to ghost Nick, because he's not here right now mm -hmm. uh, during the interview. Well, kind of in the space and time that the interview happened, his internet kind of crapped out and he's up in uh, up in a cabin in Cape Breton. So he left it up to us, uh, me and Mint and April, to finish up the episode. Uh, not that 
not that like we can't do it without him, but it's sad to see him go. But he did the interview. I don't know. I'm just rambling here. He did the interview and uh, it was a good interview. Uh, I, I kind of was struck by the one of the things she said early on in the interview, um, how she talked, how much freediving changed her life. And one of the recurring themes we have with people who are divers, whether they be scuba divers or free divers or whatever, is the connection with the ocean and how that kind of like, you know, you can't be stressed underwater and you, you know, it, 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 you know, relaxes you and it's a good way to end a kind of stressful day, an easy dive kind of thing. But I find the free divers take it a bit further and they, they talk about how it's like life changing to them. And she was a scuba diver and then she started free diving and it like, it totally changed her direction in her life. And that's a, uh, that's pretty, pretty significant thing to say. Yeah. It seems like that's, that is the recurring thing. It's almost like they all have like this cathartic experience where they're in the water and then, you know, it's, it's really changed the part of them. And I still remember mm-hmm. Dan Verhoven uh, describing that when we talked to him. And that was one of the ones where I was like, uh, okay, I could probably get into this free diving thing. If it's listening, that <laughs> sort of a response and yeah. you know, how it turns around and saves your life uh, and all. And you know, Sheena, when she was on the show as well, uh, mm-hmm. giving up like wicked career to go and, uh, and pursue her free diving dreams. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. So one of these days, one of these days I'm going to have to go down that road. Yeah. I want to, I want to find out what it's like to d- free dive in warm water. Like, uh, mm. you know, I've done a, have, you know, a reasonable amount of free diving here in, you know, cold water and thick wetsuits and all that stuff. And I really want to find out what it's like free diving without a bunch of gear on. I, well, you know, I, I think that's really what you need to do, right? Because at the end of the day, it's free diving and it's yeah. in the name. So the yeah. more gear that you're bringing with you, I think the worse off you are, honestly. So, and if I think about that, uh, that feeling that you have when you jump off a boat in the Caribbean with almost nothing on for gear versus mm-hmm. as we walk into the water with a hundred pounds of gear here or more, depending on how many tanks you're <laughs> yeah. taking with you, uh, it is a completely different experience. So, right. uh, I think, yeah, maybe a free diving course, starting a free diving course in the Caribbean somewhere and warm water might be the thing that sucks me <laughs> right into it. Yeah. Yeah. It might be, might be it. Um, it's just that warm water so far away right now. Anyway, <laughs> we talked about this all night. Uh, we should, uh, we're going to roll tape on Nick's on a single breath segment. He's going to chat about, about free diving safety and getting certified before you free dive. So let's, uh, let's listen to that. So I thought for this uh, first true installment of On a Single Breath segment, uh, it would be really fitting to talk about safety. And not just because I just spoke to a professional safety freediver, but also <laughs> because we're starting off this series uh, on, on freediving. And uh, there's often sort of a lot of misconceptions about whether freediving is safe or dangerous. Uh, and the easy way to put it is that if it's done properly, it's an extremely safe sport. Um, in fact, the safest place you can mm. freedive is at a competitive event just because you have all the safety right. systems in place, as we just heard in the interview. But um, beyond that, if you don't do it right, um, it can be very dangerous because you can miss some very, very simple safety things um, and you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, and <laughs> not something I've talked about a lot, but you know, in the early days, I did not get trained. I did not have access to courses. Um, and mm-hmm. I myself had a couple of serious incidents that I'm very lucky to be alive uh, today. 
Um, right. So the, the biggest thing I would say to somebody that's curious about freediving or interested in freediving is to go take a course. Find an instructor that is knowledgeable, an instructor that is active, and somebody that is serious about the sport. Uh, because any instructor that cares about the sport will care about the safety, um, not just the image, but the safety of it, their students when they leave a course. Um, mm-hmm. And do a course and understand the knowledge. So one of the big things in in the freediving instructing community is, you know, like we like to roll our eyes when somebody walks in the shop and they go like, well, you know, I, I just need some lead because I want to go freediving. And you go like, well, why do you need lead? And there's ensues a whole conversation about waiting, for example, but also about, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning stuff on YouTube. Why why would you go learn freediving on YouTube when you wouldn't do it for scuba or technical diving? Right. And that kind of parallels to that. Right. So I think the biggest thing as we start off this segment is to do it properly. If you want to get into freediving, be curious about it, expand your knowledge base, read things on the internet for sure. But I think your training should come from a professional that's done a course on how to teach and has the experience to back it up and to lead you with the right mentality into sport that uh, when done properly is extremely safe. Uh, when done improperly can be very dangerous. Um, but also can also be, uh, if done again, done properly can be really, really re- rewarding and open up a whole new world for you. And, mm. you know, at the end of the day, we all want to come home. Uh, and if you can go explore exactly. and explore safely, uh, that's the best way. I agree with all those points and it's, uh, definitely, it makes all the difference in the world. Even, you know, people, you know, they just don't want to spend money on something or think they can learn it off of uh watching or or because their buddy does it or something but you just pick up so much stuff like not even specific you know like the bullet point on the course for the in the instructor manual it's just just so many little things you pick up when you're on a course with somebody uh you know tips tricks uh you know ways of doing thing that you just would have never even thought to ask or look for it's uh, all that stuff is priceless mm. And in terms of safety, there's a whole bunch of other safety topics that we'll talk about. But, you know, my first tip is if you're interested, find a good instructor, talk to them and do a course and get certified. Beautiful. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Well, thanks go out to Nick for doing that segment. It's a good segment is, you know, it's the truth. It's the same with scuba diving and, and so many other things. But I think people you know, play the free diving certification thing down because they think it's just so much like snorkeling that they don't need to be certified when there's so much to know that you just don't know. And I mean, the safety components as well, right? Like shallow water mm-hmm. blackouts and, you know, uh, carbon dioxide hits mm-hmm. and things like this that yeah. I would have never even thought about when mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to swim down there while snorkeling and look at that pretty fish. Well, it's obviously a, a different ball game than just going for a snorkel somewhere around. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, I can't say in relation to this particular episode, but having listened to other free divers speak about this, it's one of the mm-hmm. things that uh, had made me stop doing that where I'm like, I'm not going to try to push, push it and see how far down and all this other stuff I could go when I am snorkeling. Yeah. I'm like, let's just stop here until I can learn a bit more about it. And Yeah. I can think back to trips prior to, this level of knowledge I have today, <laughs> you know, in the Caribbean and like you're on a, on a boat in, uh, in, you know, somewhere warm and you've got your hour of, uh, of surface interval and, you know, some folks who jump in to swim or, you know, to use the, uh, use the floating head or something like that. And then all of a sudden people are free diving down and all that. 
knowing now that of course that's totally unsafe to mm-hmm. be doing breath hold dives between a set of scuba dives it just sounds totally ridiculous but uh, back then it just seemed like fun thing to do <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. no. speaking of fun things to do uh we're in a little travel segment this week and um we're gonna talk about catalina island i've briefly mentioned catalina island before uh it's one of my favorite places in Southern California to dive. There's a lot of cool places to dive, um, but Catalina Island is totally cool. It's uh, Catalina Island itself is off of the Southern coast of California. It's uh, it's about an hour boat ride across from Long Beach. You can take the ferry to get over there. So you can, you can dive Catalina Island a couple of ways. Uh, you can dive it via a dive boat that leaves out of like Long Beach or the su- various Southern California locations, uh, or you can take the ferry across. It's a cat, and so it's a, you know it's a fast boat. It zooms across. By the way, if you take the if you take the cat across, make sure you pay the extra couple bucks for the uh, upgraded seating because then you're guaranteed a nice comfy seat and refreshments. Nice. Well worth the like twenty dollars or whatever it is. Totally mm. worth it. Anyway. Um, so you can either dive the dive boat that takes you across and you're like just doing day dives or what we used to do is a lot of fun is we would take the, uh, take the ferry across and then we would stay the night on the Island and do diving. And so we'd do like three dives during the day or something. We would just go slam them back to back to back. And then we would rent another tank and we'd stick it in the storage lockers. There's a spot there called casino point. And that's where almost all the diving happens. There's a dive park there. It's all gated off and everything so it's a it's a beautiful area to go diving and but the lockers there will conveniently fit a scuba tank so you can stick your scuba tank in there come back at 10 o'clock at night or something when it's actually nighttime and the and all the nighttime fish are out and the rays are out and everything and then you can go do a do another shore dive that night then you go you know go back into town go to bed wake up in the morning and either go back on the ferry across on the morning ferry, or as I prefer, do a couple more dives and go back on the afternoon ferry. So it was a really short weekend trip. If you're in the you're in the general area, you probably I guess know all this already. Um, but we used to do that as a trip to Vegas. We'd drive down Friday night, and then we'd get on the ferry Saturday morning, and we'd spend the weekend on the island and back uh, back Sunday evening from Vegas. So it was worth it was worth it every time. Totally. Um, some of the coolest diving I did, though, wasn't the shore diving. It was off of the dive boats that dive around Catalina Island. And uh, just because the kelp forests that you see there are fantastic, the formations you see underwater are fantastic. But the thing that I really was amazed by was this uh, thing called a giant sea bass. Mm. These fish are, uh, I'm a big guy, I'm like, you know, six foot two and uh you know wear a double xl wetsuit these fish are three of me like i'm just laying on top of myself (laughs) you know making a small wall uh (laughs) that that's how big these fish are and they school oh wow so you get you know two three six like wild giant fish that you know have the profile of a volkswagen bug or something (laughs) and uh and and you could kind of swim up to him and like, you know, be eye to eye with this giant fish and just be like, Hey man, Hey uh, man, you're getting <laughs> a little up? close. I'm going to swim away now, but, uh, Hey, and the, you know, you kind of just awesome. swim away a little bit and yeah, they were, they were just totally cool. And when you would find one of these schools of them, they'd just be sitting on the bottom doing their thing, just hanging out, whatever they do. 
And then, um, and then if, you know, somebody would swim by a little too close, they might swim off or something, but you could, you know, hang out with them for 10, 20 minutes underwater and just like be in awe of these fish. And that was, uh, that was one of the things that really sticks out in my memory and definitely worth doing. And, uh, so yeah, check out Catalina Island and there's a whole bunch of other islands all around there. So there's a lot of other things to see as well. Some, uh, some really cool stuff. So that's it. Catalina Island mm. in Southern California. That sounds pretty cool to me, man. Uh, you sold me on the sea bass and the night diving. I like that uh, <laughs> profile that you planned there. How do we squeeze six or seven dives into two days? <laughs> two, two days uh, yeah. Well, yeah, now you're talking my language for sure. So, what about the great yeah, white situation yeah. there, Justin? Well, so you can do great white diving on the back <gasps> side of Catalina Island. On the front side, they're rarely seen, um, and really not so much on the back side of Catalina Island. It's a big island. It's mm-hmm. uh, pretty massive but there's some other islands there where they are more likely to be seen um they do they do great white shark dives uh dive charters they're pretty expensive last time i looked into is like three thousand ish bucks us to be out on a boat for a few days and the the cage and all that stuff um they and of course they can't guarantee that you'll see a great white but Mm -hmm. uh, i know. know but uh you know they do everything you can so, yeah, I haven't looked into it recently, but uh, that was a thing that was done on the in the Channel Islands there. So, mm-hmm. wouldn't it just be so sad though if you paid $3,000 and you didn't see a shark? Oh, mm. So sad. That does it for tonight's episode of the podcast. Gabriel, another you, one. F- do you want to sing anything or <laughs> no, no it's gotta it's gotta, it's gotta happen to, naturally you can't right, you can't, right. can't put like, her on the spot can't put, her on, can't put spot. me on the spot it's just sorry, it's sorry. like i just i get in the in a zone and i start vibing <laughs> and, and start it just vibing. happens uh, <laughs> it just happens it's yeah natural. all right we gotta get her a forced. glass of wine i think justin and see how this goes <laughs> yeah yeah really <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, wrap this right. up, Justin. Well, let's let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks again. Go out to <laughs> Louisa Collins for joining us on the podcast, and thanks to Nick for setting up that interview and performing the interview. Um, you know, again, we always like to have a guest on the show, but because of scheduling commitments and all that kind of stuff that uh you know it's uh, we can't always get uh, everybody live on the show so we appreciate nick getting that all done for us and also thanks uh, to you Emmett, for being on tonight it was a good time i think we had a lot of fun uh ribbon april and mm-hmm. uh, enjoying <laughs> things <laughs> along the way so yeah. yeah thank you guys very much for hanging out with me for tonight yeah yeah pretty relaxed episode lots of fun <laughs> and uh, april thank you Yep, thanks for having me on. Always happy to be here, even if I'm getting roasted during the episode. <laughs> but, uh, you know, always fun. I enjoy my Wednesday evenings with you. Yep, always something to look forward to every week. So. All right. Well, don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash diveinpod and get some fun rewards for doing so. Visit our website, diveinpod.com for all the links you need for episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow me at iDiveOK. I'm at April Weikert. Nick is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. Next week, we speak to Alex St. John, a Canadian underwater cameraman and freediver. This episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. 
Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all tried to do it. <laughs> Nick does it That's like funny. in a way where it's just like, "Thanks for listening." I don't know. How to do it. <laughs> Thanks like, for, yeah, listening. Thanks yeah, for listening. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, thanks well, for thanks for listening, everybody. And until <laughs> next week, goodbye. Uh, no, um, bye bye. I'll just let that. Bitch. I'll let that run out. <laughs>